Tonight we gather to remember and reflect on the darkest day in history. The irony is, as we look back upon it, we call it Good Friday. It's ironic because the greatest crime in human history is also the greatest act of love and grace in human history. Many have heard of it. And I pray that you would know what truly happened well, and it would move upon your life, and it would change your life. You would know the love of God made manifest in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. May the result of our time together tonight in God's Word cause each of us to surely call it good. I pray that our time tonight in God's Word is helpful to you. It helps you to consider mankind's sin, the depth of our sin. To see our desperate need for a Savior. To do this, let's grab our Bibles together and turn to the New Testament letter of 1 John chapter 4. And it's an honor on this Holy Week to continue in the sermon series that we're, that we're in as a church and to really be in the middle of the very chapter and passage that we're in. Um, we continue to see these two wonderful verses in 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, as a wonderful portray, portrayal and announcement of the gospel of love. I pray that you'll see that with me tonight. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Church, guest, as we prepare to dive into God's Word tonight, let's submit ourselves to Him in holy in prayer. Father, we thank You for the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank You for the blood of Jesus spilled out in the place of many. Thank You for the pardon and forgiveness it is for our sin. God, we are desperate for you to give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Do your work in the deepest places of our hearts, the hearts of your precious people. Let no man or woman go untouched tonight by your love and grace, which literally transforms lives as you cause it to be so. Help us to see the depth of our sin so that it brings us to an utter dependence on you alone. Help us to see and savor the atoning work of Jesus on our behalf so that our lives are truly ready to be dead to self and alive to Christ. For your glory, we prioritize this time in your holy word. Do your work in us, God. Do your work through us in these days you've given us. We're overwhelmed to be yours. May that overwhelmed posture be that of 
the Christian who starts this sermon, saved by grace, and the posture of the sinner who finishes this sermon, saved by grace, and rejoices in belonging to you in knowing Christ. It's in Jesus' mighty mediation and the Holy Spirit's perfect power we pray. Amen. Church, tonight I want to focus on verse 10. We spent a lot of time in verse 9 on Palm Sunday. Tonight, let's look at verse 10. John says this, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So John says, In this is love. And before we delve into the what the this is, let's consider the context by which we're looking at verse 10 for a moment. It comes just after a few verses that are very famous in all of Holy Scripture and very helpful for tonight. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love what is love God is love love is an eternal attribute of who God is and so when you think of love you need to not think of created things You need to think of God. And if you want to know true love, you must know God personally. Not just know about Him, but know Him. On this Holy Week of 2022, we're looking at this gospel of love that we find in these two verses of 9 and 10. And and we're looking at the, the good news of God's love made manifest among us. In the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God reveals His love in the most profound way. Please understand, God doesn't just profess His love or proclaim His love for His chosen people. He shows us His love. He puts His eternal love and perfect love to work. And if you want to look at something in creation that shows you the love of God at work. The love of God shown in the most profound way. Then look to the cross of Christ. Oh, how he loved us. So much so that he died for us. And that's our focus tonight. But before we get to that, to help us get it, to help us appreciate it, to remind us, because we forget too often, we lose sight of it too easily, we must understand our lack of love. Listen to how John says this, 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we have loved God. Not that we have loved God. It is important that we understand what John is emphasizing when he says, not that we have loved God. Despite popular belief, Holy Scripture is clear that without God's sovereign hand 
to give us new life, we don't do anything to love or glorify God. You have likely heard people say over the years, maybe even said yourself, speaking of their choosing God, saying something like, isn't it great? I finally got my act together and chose God instead of the sin that was always so tempting and so damaging to my life. The problem with this is that we cannot initiate or pursue God in love apart from God's love at work in us. The depraved, the, the enslaved condition of our sin meant that we could not choose him if we wanted to. And by the way, we didn't want to. Romans 3, 11 through 12, no one understands. No one seeks for God. No one does good. No one loves God. Not even one. We don't. We're enslaved to sin. Romans 8, 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. We must see rightly that the unconverted, depraved, fleshly mind is hostile to God and does not love or obey God in anything they do. So before we talk about Jesus coming to make atonement for our sins, we have to see our need for a Savior because of our sin. And so, what is sin? Well, question 33 of the Word of Truth Catechism answers this way. Sin is disobeying God. Sin is any disobedience in heart or deed to God's perfect law and commands. Disobedience indeed is doing or saying what God forbids or not doing or saying what God commands. That's disobedience in our doing. Indeed, disobedience in the heart is having a wrong state of mind or motivation or desires behind what we do or feel. There's sin even in the state of the heart before we do or say anything. There's the sin of commission, which is the things that we do that we should not. And there's the sin of omission, which is the things that we don't do that we should. There are even sinful reasons why we often do the right things. Sinful motivations to do the right thing. For all who stand on their own merit and not in Christ are spiritually dead in sin, Scripture says, which means we are rightly and fully separated from God. Isaiah 59.2, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Earlier in Isaiah 53.6, All who are in the flesh are also defined. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We have betrayed the holy God to pursue our own way. This is sin. Sin is is not light or little. It's betrayal of the holy God. Who exactly has sinned against God? Isaiah 
just said all, all of us. Paul, the Apostle Paul, will later say all. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a massive reality check for all of mankind who was born under the seed of man, under Adam. In case you're wondering who that is, that's all of us. That's how the system works. We're all born in sin and then go on to live in sin. The only one who wasn't born in sin was Jesus. Because he wasn't born in the seed of man. He was, for she was a virgin. The Holy Spirit conceived the Messiah in the womb of Mary. That original sin guilt was not passed to Christ. He did not have any sin. But all the rest of us do. Sin is often communicated in our holy day in terms of making mistakes or making poor choices. And that is just grossly an insufficient view of sin. Any decision to sin is indeed a poor one. That's true. But what we must do business with is the fact that any sin is an act of utter disobedience against the holy and deserving God. The late, great Reformed pastor R.C. Sproul said it well when he said, Sin is cosmic treason. This means even the slightest sin that a creature commits against his, his creator is an act of great violence or betrayal in the creator's holiness, his glory, his righteousness. We betray that. We don't honor it. We betray it. Every sin, no matter how seemingly insignificant, is an act of rebellion against the sovereign God who reigns and rules over all things. And it is an act of treason against the cosmic king. The essential truth is emphasized by James in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law, if someone could keep every part of the law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. They stand guilty before God. Now you might say that, wow, that that sounds like a really high standard. Right? But, But God is high. He's very, very high. He's the highest. So his standard must be high. We're not talking about the need for reconciliation with your neighbor. We're talking about true and lasting fellowship with the holy God. This is not something that he will compromise on. And if he did, then he would be compromising his very holy affection. 
his very holy perfection, which, which he simply cannot and will not do. Not only do we fall short of the glory of God and the holy standard of God, we don't have the capacity to love God as we should in our sin. But in our spiritual death, we earn the wage of lasting separation from God and His glory. We earn His righteous judgment and wrath. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wage, your, what you earned, your paycheck for your work of sin is death. So God promised it would be at the beginning to Adam and Eve. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Understand, in our sin, we are spiritually dead. It is our identity. It is our reality. It's our slavery. Every one of us outside of the new birth of Jesus Christ are slaves to sin. Paul said that so well in Ephesians chapter 2. 1 through 3, that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying about the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Because of our sin, we pursued our own glory, and in doing so, we made war with the one true God who deserved glory from us. We became his enemies, and we deserved his righteous wrath. So when John says, not that we have loved God, he's highlighting our spiritual reality, our complete lack of love and desire to honor God. He's highlighting our our depraved condition that that is utterly desperate to be saved, to be invigorated with spiritual life, and faith that that trusts God, honors God, and deeply loves God. Please understand, mankind cannot save ourselves from spiritual death. We can't. Our selfishness will not do what it takes. Our self-righteousness, our best efforts, fall far short of meeting his holy standard. We must see the depth of mankind's separation from God in sin. All who are apart from Christ are guilty, enslaved, deserving of God's eternal wrath. We are without hope for anything good and lasting. This is the damned and deplorable condition of fallen man. And so if you're here tonight, and you're wondering, why did someone invite me to church tonight? It's Friday. Or you're you're a young one in a family or with a group of friends. And you're, why? You have a condition that is so serious, more serious than anything any doctor could tell you, any judge could tell you. You have to see the weight of it. And if you choose to push it off, it's just another sign of your arrogance and your pride and your selfishness at work.
even the old covenant system of God that he put in place was not to satisfy his wrath for sinful man, but to point us to the only sacrifice that would be sufficient, Jesus himself. Hebrews 10, 20, 10 verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of goats, I'm sorry, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That system is insufficient to satisfy God's wrath. What this means is all of mankind, for all of human history, since the fall of man, have been utterly desperate for the promised one. After Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God and reap the consequences of their sin, God promised a Redeemer in Genesis 3.15. Sounds like a lot of movie stories you've heard, huh? The promised one, right? You ever wonder why that, that's a narrative that we see again and again in all of our storytelling? It's because all that points to the story. That God promised mankind at the fall of man a redeemer. Our only hope. God promised to send one who would defeat Satan and save his people from their sin. Praise God for the life, the arrival, the perfection, the faithfulness of Jesus for the death, sacrifice, the faithfulness, the love of Jesus and for the resurrection, the victory, the forerunning, the confirmation of Jesus. This is the gospel of love. The love of God. God who is love. Look at the next part of the verse with me, church. In this is love. In what? Not that we have loved God. That's not love. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the good news that we're here to see and understand and trust in tonight. This is why Christians like myself call the darkest day in human history Good Friday. Not Black Friday, not Bad Friday, but Good Friday. Good Friday is the annual remembrance of the day Jesus was murdered on a cross and died for our sins. The cross, the most widely known symbol in the history of the world... No symbol is more widely known than the cross, than a tool of torture and death because of Jesus. When you see the cross, you're reminded of Jesus, not just his life, but his death, and specifically his death by crucifixion. Death by crucifixion being one of the most horrendous, despicable, painful, agonizing forms of death. In speaking of the crucifixion, Cicero, who declared Roman citizens should not even think of the cross, should not speak of the cross, because it was altogether horrifying for any decent Roman citizen to even contemplate or utter. And it was the Romans' tool. They used it. It was so horrific, he tells the people... Good, common people don't even think about it. It's that bad. 
Today, you and I must see. Because we don't see. You haven't witnessed it. But we got to try to see how horrendous crucifixion is. Crucifixion is so horrendous, we created a word to explain it. That's the word excruciating. We've used that word. You know that word, excruciating. We use that word in an effort to describe the most painful, awful, undesirable circumstance. That it was excruciating. The word excruciating literally means of the cross. Go back to the passage we read a few moments ago. Ephesians 2, 1, 3. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. And then skipping to 3. Among whom you all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And now consider... Verses two and two, uh, verses four and five. Paul then says, "But God, here's your deplorable condition, enslaved condition, wicked condition. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, being rich in mercy, because of the love, the great love with which He loved us." Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we weren't doing okay like we like to think we were. We were dead in our trespasses. The judgment on our sin was death. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then Romans 5.8, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how God shows His love in the most amazing way. We didn't have to do anything to get fixed, to get saved. We didn't have to get cleaned up. We didn't have to do better. We were dead in our trespasses. While we were actively his enemies, while we were actively sinners, Christ died for us. This is what John's emphasizing in our verse tonight, that we must see and savor And I pray you see it. I pray maybe you see it tonight in a way you have not seen it before. Because when God gives you eyes to see His amazing grace and love in Jesus' sacrifice in your place, it will wreck you. And bring you to true and lasting faith in Him. So with all that under our feet, look back at our verse. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. But God, God so loved us.
Jesus put on flesh so that his unmarred, holy, and perfect flesh could bear our sins. His perfect record, past, present, and future, there is nothing more important than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, on mankind's behalf, is the crux of human history. And it's the crux of faith. Without Jesus' death in our place, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, there's no relationship with a good, holy, and just God. So when it says, in this is love, not that we have loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, consider the weight of all that God did to love us. He sent his son, his one and only begotten son, God the son, eternal and holy and all-powerful, humbled himself to take on flesh, to add what was, to fu- what was fully divine, what is fully man, so that his flesh could be torn off of him. So that he could be sacrificed as our needed atonement, our needed substitute, so he could be our perfect spotless lamb. But you have to realize, it is not just about his body hurting and dying. That is the real extent of his love for us. It's not even the extent of his sacrifice. Even though all that Jesus went through physically, as horrific as it was, as intolerable as it was, so bad that many others who were condemned to die by crucifixion never made it to the cross. They die from all that they went through before even getting nailed to the cross. As bad as it was, the real weight that Jesus carried the real price he paid on his flesh and soul is not was not the physical beatings was not his flesh being torn from him was not being pierced was not every breath that was so laborious to take it is the wrath of god being poured out on him for our sin that's the passion that's the penalty if you spent time reading scripture this week with your family or as just an individual following the Holy Week narrative of Jesus' journey to the cross, then you read about Jesus praying in the garden. Literally midnight-ish, Thursday night, going into Friday morning. He's praying to the Father. And it tells us in Scripture that he was so deeply distressed and troubled, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. His flesh is so overwhelmed at what he's about to endure that he is sweating blood. That's the physical depth of that sorrow. Physically manifesting itself in blood coming through his pores. But You need to see in that he's not overwhelmed at the coming beatings or dying on the cross. He's overwhelmed at the weight of the wrath of God due all our sin. To 
to be put on him. When he prayed to God the Father in the garden, what did he say? Keep me from the cross? No. That's not what he was asking for. That, that's how we think or we remember it. What did he say? Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. What cup? What cup? The cup of God's wrath to be poured out on sin. Scripture speaks clearly of it. It is what deserving sinners are due for an eternity for betraying the holiness of God. And it's, and it's real. It's very real. Now, I have a unique task Wednesday night. I, I'm teaching in foundations for the late elementary students. So pray for me. <laughs> Because I'm not very gifted or skilled at that, right? You want to come see something entertaining, you come peek in the door. <laughs> My job Wednesday night is to teach them what hell is. And as you know, I won't do, I'm not going to pull punches with them. So, parents, get ready. Wednesday night might be a long night. Right? Because God ordained that Holy Scripture would teach us about these things. About what sin is due. About the penalty of unending fire. And on and on. I won't get into it now. Deserving sinners are due for eternity the wrath of God, for betraying the holiness of God. It is God's righteous judgment and condemnation on sin. It is a weight that the flesh of Christ was overwhelmed with sorrow over just at the thought of bearing it. But the good news of this night that we gather to celebrate is that Jesus didn't bail out. He didn't get up and go find a boat to Tarshish. He didn't run the other way. He not only showed up on Palm Sunday, he stayed the course all week, all night, all the way to the cross. And as we've discussed, Holy Scripture teaches us He is the one who holds all things together. He held the cross together so that it would be finished. So I testify tonight the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which saves and sets free, is this. That He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, for a few weeks now, if you're new to Scripture or to deeper levels of theology, you've been wondering, what does that word propitiation mean? So here it is. It means Jesus substituted himself in our place. He, 
He paid the penalty due our sin. Hebrews 2.17 tells us that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It's the atonement of Christ. This is what the word propitiation means. Propitiation means the righteous wrath of God that is due our sin is appeased by a suitable gift offered in its place. Propitiation is the appeasing or adverting of God's divine anger and wrath. It is only the work that the holy, spotless, sinless Jesus could do. Only Jesus could substitute himself in our place to take the wrath through our sin Only Jesus can make it possible for the justice of God to be met and therefore the forgiveness of God to be given to us. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says it like this in a recent article. Propitiation is used in the New Testament to describe the pacifying, placating, appeasing of God's wrath. Christ's death not only removed the moral stain of sin, it also removed the personal offense of sin. Tonight we understand and celebrate that the God of the Bible is not appeased by a bribe, but by Jesus' blood. The God of the Bible, though justly angry and offended with sin and sinners, freely and willingly sent His only Son to be our propitiatory sacrifice out of His eternal love for us, church. The death of Christ did not make God love us. The electing love of God planned this. Once and for all sacrifice, He planned it before there was time. Scripture tells us. He did this for our eternal good and for His eternal glory. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The God who has always been for His people from eternity past sent His Son in time to be the wrath-absorbing sacrifice that we might have peace with God now and for unending ages. What else are you worrying about that comes anywhere close to that? Nothing. Young ones, guests, friends, people who have been in church for 30 years but have never understood this. This is the most massive, most game-changing thing you can ever come to see and savor. And that's the key. You can see it. you You can hear about it. But do you savor it? Do you believe in it? That's faith. That's God giving you faith. You will die to self and live to Christ. Paul says it well in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This means the wrath of God no longer sits on those who are in Christ. In this, the holiness of God is respected and His justice is satisfied and we are set free. And church, this is why we sing. 
That's why we worship God, live for him the rest of our days. But it gets better. Not only did he take on our deserved wrath, but this means we receive his righteousness, and therefore we're declared righteous and justified in God's eyes. Romans 5.9 says that we're justified by his blood. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. My death in exchange for his life. My sin in exchange for his righteousness. My condemnation and I get salvation. He takes on my condemnation, I get salvation. He takes on my failure, I get his success. He takes on my defeat, I get his victory. This is the wonder and the beauty of what Jesus accomplished on the cross of Calvary on our behalf. His perfect blood shed on the cross is the righteousness. We who trust in Christ are covered with. So when God in all his holiness looks upon you and I to consider if we get to enjoy glory with him, communion with him, his love, now and forever, when he looks down on you who are in Christ, he doesn't see your failed record. He sees Christ's perfection and righteousness on you. And he declares you justified. We're justified by his blood. If you can hear my voice tonight, repent of your sin and believe in Jesus alone and be saved. This, this is the only way to be saved. This is the only way to God. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. To, to redeem means to obtain or set free by paying a high price. People pay a lot of money or go through a lot of years of waiting and work to adopt a child. The price Jesus paid for us was infinite. I pray you see the depth of God's love in your adoption, the price he paid. The cross. If you ever felt, Christian, unimportant, unloved, unwanted, you should never feel that way in Christ. The God of all creation loves you. And when you rightly understand what he did, he doesn't need to show it to you again. You shouldn't need to say, tell me again. He so loves you. But he knows that we need it again and again. So that's why he ordained faithful study of the word, faithful preaching of the word, right? Praise God. Instead, we need to see the depth of God's love for us in his specific choosing you and in the extent of the payment that was made to make you a forever part of his beloved. John 15, 13 says, Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is the good news of God's amazing love set on undeserving people. Church, see the Savior's love in what he gave up for us. 
see it in the depth of his reach, not only in the incarnation, the taking on of flesh, but in his sacrificial substitution, his death on the cross on our behalf. I pray you see God's gracious love in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See him laying down his life, a life that deserved all the glory and fame and respect and honor. He laid it down to love us, to save us, that you would come to know his love so that you can then in turn genuinely love one another as you never could before and love him as you never could before. John says in this verse, in this is love. Amen? If you want to know true love, true forgiveness, true satisfaction, you must know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Revelation 15.3 says, For all eternity we will sing the song of the Lamb who was slain. Psalm 18.46, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Christian, are your feet firmly on the rock of Jesus, on the God of your salvation? When the temporary is crumbling all around you and working against you, when injustice, when blood, immorality are literally raining down on your life, and the storm waters are rising and raging, do you stand on Christ, on the God of your salvation? My job as your preaching pastor is to constantly reorient your heart to the Lord of your salvation, the Lord of joy. To preach the word in its fullness so that your heart stay full of the truth and wonder and work of God. So that you too would look and see and wonder and be astounded at what God has done to redeem you and what he continues to do to your life so that your faith would be full and your joy would be complete. Amen? There's no name under heaven by which you can be saved than Jesus. No name. But tonight, I'm worried for some of you. Because you have no sense of urgency. You're hearing these things, but you're not being wrecked by them. When you look at the cross of Jesus, you need to realize that, you, that Jesus either died for you and suffered in your place, or you will suffer for eternity. I promise you this is the truth. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that all the believing into Him might not perish. You have to believe into Him. You have to trust everything you have to Him. You don't just give Him part. If you do that, if you trust it all to him, truly and fully, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life, it says. The flip side is, if you don't believe into him, if you don't give it all to him and die to self and live to Christ, you will perish. You remain guilty in your sin. You remain separated from God. You remain in spiritual death. I beg the Lord, that none of you will leave here tonight enemies of God. But I trust it to Him. For salvation belongs to the Lord.
Jesus said it clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Friends, there is no hope apart from the cross. Your sins are real. God's wrath is real. Hell is real. But so is forgiveness of sin through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen? At the conclusion of that Good Friday, when Jesus died for our sins, when Jesus cried out from the cross, John 19.30, He said, It is finished. And a Roman officer who stood nearby exclaimed, Truly, this was the Son of God. On that Friday night, Jesus cried out from the cross. On this Friday night, will you cry out to him in saving faith? Will you proclaim Jesus as Lord and truly be saved? I pray it is God's will. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your plan of redemption before time, your election of us, your <laughs> your patience and faithfulness for all the generations of mankind to set the table for the Redeemer that Jesus take on flesh in your perfect time and plan and live without sin and die in our place on that night, on that Friday. <coughs> Help us to see his love. Help us to see your grace. Help us to see and to savor the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those who are redeemed, that we would worship you. That we would live for you. That we would stop living for ourselves. That we would stop playing with sin. That we would stop making light of the things of God. And enjoy you and worship you and love like you. Each day you give us. And so if you give us a few more moments tonight, God, we want to sing. We want to worship you. Be worshiped, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.